As the world's only personalized vitamin platform based on a health assessment and your DNA, ID Life provides its members with high-quality ingredients backed by pure science. It's science. Check out rockinthatidlife.com and speak with Dustin about how you can reach your goals today. That's rockinthatidlife.com. Centerize Brewery is a proud sponsor of Let's Go Blues Radio. Visit centerizebrewery.com today to schedule a no-contact curbside pickup or make a reservation in their awesome tap room. That's Centerize Brewery located in Midtown St. Louis. Let's go blues! You can't trade Alex Steen. And Regina, or Regina if she were a town in Canada, uh, she responds with, why not Bennington? Real men, you drink pumpkin beer. Get ready to hear some noise tonight. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio. This is Eddie Garcia from the Fox Sports Radio Network and co-host of the Puck Podcast, and you're listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi, guys. This is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. You're just seconds away from Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Ken Wilson. Once upon a time, I broadcast blues hockey. I always listen to Let's Go Blues Radio. It's everything you'll want as a blues fan. Oh, baby. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 47 of Let's Go Blues Radio. This is the fully vaccinated, often imitated, never duplicated, always miscalculated. We are the original St. Louis Blues Hockey Podcast. Support for Let's Go Blues Radio is brought to you in part by RockinThatIDLife.com, the world's only truly personalized vitamin platform based on a health assessment of your DNA, and by Center Ice Brewery, CenterIceBrewery.com, St. Louis's first and only hockey-themed brewery. We're, uh, we're broadcasting live to tape on Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. This is franchise episode number 313 all time. I'm your host, Jeff Ponder, and as you can see, I'm all alone. Uh, Kurt Price and Bill Day are on assignment, we'll say. For your listening pleasure, I'll be talking St. Louis Blues hockey for the next little while. To interact with the show on social media, we're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do a search for us. If you can listen to a podcast, you can certainly search the internet. Uh, Also, have you checked out our Discord server? Blues fans can talk with other Blues fans with either voice or text chat. The three hosts of the show are periodically in there uh, this summer, especially when any news breaks. Uh, For more info, go to letsgoblues.com slash discord. mentioned last week that we had a nice little talk with some other listeners uh, on free agent day. So uh, we expect to continue that uh, as, as soon as any other news comes out. Uh, but we are in the dog days of summer, folks. We are in uh, August, and um, this is August to me is always when it's like the the hardest to be a hockey fan um, because it's like okay, the free agencies died down. Maybe not so much now because it wasn't July first like it normally is. But uh, you know, you've got until late September when camps open. Uh, season in, in October, so August is just kind of that one month where there's really nothing in terms of NHL news. So, um, yeah, this is always one that, that 
feels like, uh, okay, this just get through this month, and then we'll we'll be able to start really ramping up for hockey. So, folks, stick with us. Uh, like I said, we'll be here every week. Uh, even though there's not much to probably talk about, we'll always have something fun to do, um, like this week, which we'll talk about in a minute. So, uh, before we get into um, the interview I have lined up for this week. I uh, do want to mention that the reason we're not doing a live show this week is because Kurt Bill and I are recording a podcast with an up-and-coming show titled The Puck Stories Podcast. I know you can find them on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure what their link is for uh, their URL, but um, you can find them on Twitter there, and then um, I imagine they're going to be on all the podcast platforms. They have not started up yet, but I think they're starting to line up shows uh, so basically what this is, is if you've ever seen Drunk History, which is a great show, uh, this is basically Drunk History, but with sports. Uh, they're just going to tell us to drink a bunch of alcohol, which we normally do anyway, but we're going to drink a little more than usual. And we're going to recap a, cur- a a former blue season. Um, we thought maybe they were going to do the Stanley Cup year, but we're actually going to do the 95-96 Season That was the year with Gretzky and the Heiserman goal uh, and uh, fuck Kiprios and all that. Uh, so, yeah, we're uh, we're going to be doing that um, tomorrow, Wednesday, the 4th, but uh, probably won't be live for a little bit. So make sure to follow us on social media for when that comes out, because I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun. We're all getting together for it, too. We're going to be at Kurt's house, so it's going to be a good time. Uh, well, let's go ahead and get into today in Blues History, courtesy of the at STL Blues History account. This is for August 3rd, 2021. On August 3rd, 1977, the St. Louis Blues announced that minor league affiliation with the with Salt Lake of the CHL, and they name Barkley Plager their player head coach. Um, so that's uh, obviously big news there. August 3rd, 1994, Tony Twist returns to the St. Louis Blues when he signed as a free agent. Uh, he, uh, STL Blues History, again, follow him on Twitter if you don't already. Um, he had a, a newspaper clipping that went with that. First of all, a very young picture of Tony Twist, which is awesome to see. Uh, he says the Blues have reacquired defenseman left winger Tony Twist, who played for the National Hockey League Club in the 1989 uh, 90 season. The Blues traded Twist to Quebec in 1991, along with Herb Raglan and Andy Rimshaw for uh, Darren Kimball, which we all know that name well. Twist was given a termination contract for the coming season by the Nordiques. When he did not return it by June 30th, he became an unrestricted free agent. Terms of his deal with the Blues were not disclosed. Uh, Here's some good penalty minute numbers for Twist. Uh, He's 26 at this time, played in 49 games last season, and had four assists and 109 penalty minutes. In 179 NHL games, he has seven assists and 557 penalty minutes, he has not scored an NHL goal. Uh, we all know he did. He scored a couple, uh, but uh, that obviously came later. So uh, big, uh, a big part of Blues history, in my opinion. Tony Twist, uh, one of the premier fighters in the NHL. Um, and then a guy just still calls St. Louis home. So we love you, Tony, if you're listening. Uh, it was fun to, to kind of reminisce a little bit about you here. Uh, before we get into some Blues news, I do want to uh, have a little bit of a personal uh, call out to somebody that I met uh, the other day at Pure Hockey in Kirkwood, uh, Grant, uh, a wonderful worker there that that helped me with the question I had about uh, team sales. 
Um, it was funny, you know, it, it was St. Louis. You got to, you have the mask mandate still. And, um, so we were talking and he, uh, he brought up, he goes, he goes, man, I got a crazy question. Uh, are you Jeff from let's go blues radio? And I was like, yeah, that's me. And, uh, it was really cool. Uh, uh, getting to talk to him and about hockey and his appreciation for the show. Obviously he's not the only one we've heard from. Um, I know Kurt told a story recently, he met someone at a wedding reception, which by the way, was also apparently this gentleman lived in Kirkwood. So I think we're number one in Kirkwood. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, uh, so awesome, awesome meeting Grant and, uh, said some very nice things called me a local celebrity, which, uh, nah, I'm going to say no on that one. Um, but thank you. Very, very nice uh, of you to, to say that, Grant. So, again, big call out, and uh, make sure you've got the pure hockey and you, you deal with Grant. Just know you're going to get some good hockey insight. Uh, so, uh, Blues news. Blues signed, uh, as we speculated last week, Brandon Saad uh, to a five-year, $22.5 million contract. That is a $4.5 million AAV Uh Terms of the deal, 2025-2026, which is the last year of the deal. Uh, he does have a 12-team no-trade list, which for him as a player, that is uh, brilliant to be able to pull that out um, because at that point in his career, you know, the Blues might just be looking to unload his contract. They would ship him anywhere to, to make sure that happen. But he protected himself. He's going to have a say in where he goes if he's traded that last year. So, um, good on him for getting that. Obviously, Blues fans might look at that and be like, ah, that's going to suck. But at that point, again, you're trying to win now. So let's focus on that. Uh, his last contract, uh, which he signed in July of 2015, it was actually a six-year, $36 million, uh, and that was uh, obviously a $6 million, uh cap hit. So he took a $1.5 million pay cut per season to come to the Blues. Um, not particularly, I guess, to come to the Blues, but he is uh, seeing a pay cut this year, which is amazing. And when Schwartz signed, uh, I made a comment on Twitter that I think you can get sod for cheaper. And uh, a lot of people disagreed, you know, with every right, uh, because he did make more money uh, in his last contract. And, you know, he's a free agent. And again, I think without COVID, without the craziness we've had in the last couple of years uh, and the flat cap, he probably does make more on this next contract. Somebody would have given him six, at least what he was making, maybe 6.5. But we're in a flat cap era, folks. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it. I think it's a great signing for the Blues. Uh, last season, if you were wondering, he had 15 goals and 9 assists and, 20, and 24 points in 44 games played. His best season came as a Columbus Blue Jacket in 2016-17 he had 24 goals, 29 assists, and 53 points, uh, and played in all 82 games. So, um, yeah, he uh, he's a guy that he's only 28. And again, uh, we talked a lot about Sod last week, so I don't want to get too much into this. But um, he he looked. I think he's a guy that can still contribute. Great numbers. Um, yeah, last year only 15 goals and nine assists, but. And again, only 44 games played. Didn't play in the full season. Missed a couple games there. But um, yeah, and he was thrown on the second, third line for the most part. And I think you'll see mostly that uh, with him this time around. But I don't know. He's just a guy I think that could step in and really fit in this system. Um, I think he's a Baruby player. 
Uh, and I think that he fills a need on that left wing. So uh, I'm a big fan of this contract, and I think uh, Armstrong uh, really pulled a good one out of the hat here. Uh, again, uh, I was ready to see Schwartz go, and I know maybe the numbers say otherwise, but I think Saad's a slight upgrade over Schwartz. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see what line he fills in on and uh, how he gels with his teammates in camp because I, I really think that we got a shot here to to have a, a hidden gem coming in with the Blues, especially with a guy like Buchnevich joining the group too. So big fan of this deal, and uh, kudos to Armstrong for getting it done. Uh, Blues also announced a bunch of re-signings. Uh, don't want to go in too much depth here. We already know what we're getting here, but uh, they signed Ivan Barbashev, Dakota Joshua, and Jordan Cairo, all the contracts. Barbashev's uh, was a two-year, $4.5 million contract. That's a $2.25 million AAV. Dakota Joshua was a one-year, two-way contract worth $750,000 when he's in the NHL and 100000 when he's in the AHL. And the Blues also, as said, signed uh, Jordan Cairo. He gets a two-year, $5.6 million contract. That's a $2.8 million uh, cap hit. So, first of all, Ivan Barbashev... Um, you know, let's talk about Barbashev and Cairo a little bit together. Uh, Barbashev, I, I like Barbashev. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite blues. I love his game. I think he easily could be the third line center on this team. Talking about Dakota Joshua getting signed too. Clearly, I think there's a chance there. I think he bumps in and plays well. He's got great hands. He only had five goals and seven assists in uh, 38 games last year, but He's only 11 points away from uh, from 100 points in his career. And um, I just think he he plays a good game. And again, we talk about a Baruby-style player. I think that's Barbashev. He is always willing to forecheck. He's quick. Uh, and he's a guy that, that I've talked about before that I love how he can slide up and down the lineup as needed. He's a guy that, that filled in on the top line a, a little bit last season. Um, yeah, I, 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 again, I love having Barbashev back. The 2.25 million, I think that might be a little more than I was expecting. Um, but having said that, it's not that much more. It's uh, I was gonna say two million. So really, we're talking 250k um, difference that that I expected. So a little bit higher than I thought. But um, you know, when it comes down to it, not a huge difference. But uh, but again. Great signing for Armstrong to, to bring Barbashev back. Big part of this core, at least at this point. Um, and then Kairou. This one was one that I, I thought maybe a little bit of a stretch in payment. And and there's a reason that GMs would do that. And I think there's a reason Armstrong did that. Again, he's at 2.8 million AAV for the next two years. Um he was a rookie last year. He's 23 years old. Last year, in case you wanted the numbers, 55 games played, 35 points. Um, he's great, and he, uh, for by all accounts, has a great career ahead of him. I'm just worried you're giving him a little too much on his first big league contract. Uh, 2.8 million. Again, I would have put him at about somewhere between two and 2.5 is where I was pegging him. So not. A ridiculous amount higher than I was expecting, uh, but if you're on the low end of that two million, uh, you know that's obviously almost a, a million more. So, eh, I just think you know we bitch about people getting these big contracts at the end of their careers, like towards the end, the latter stages. 
Alex Steen comes to mind, Jay Bomeister. How much did we complain about those contracts over the years? So this is the opposite of that. This is a kid, we're paying you for what we think you're going to do. That's what a lot of GMs like to do now, and it's a good move. It's better than paying somebody for what they did for you. Uh, I like the deal in the sense of locking him up for two years. He'll still be a restricted free agent uh, when his uh, when this contract's up. But again, just, I don't know. I, he's got to prove it. He's got to prove it to me. And I think Armstrong's saying the same thing. Um, prove that you are worth this contract extension. Um, and if he does, I will be ecstatic and I will agree with everyone who loves this deal. Um, but I just, I need to see it first. Uh, so I, I think we're, we're on the cusp of some greatness here. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be a 50 goal scorer, but he's a guy that could really do some great things if he matures the right way. And, uh, he's trending up. So hopefully, uh, any naysaying I have about this, uh, is squashed quickly, uh, in his first year of this contract. One more note to get to just because I bring it up because I know Kurt and Bill and I do this every year. The Blue Note 5K date was announced today, uh, Sunday, September 26th at Forest Park. Uh, You can run in person at Forest Park or you can participate virtually. Uh, Early reservations are $35, increases to $40 on uh, September 3rd, and then $45 on September 18th. So um, I know I'll be participating. I imagine Kurt and Bill will be there as well. So uh, just wanted to get that date out there. Uh, Again, Sunday, September 26th, you can go to the Blues website and uh, sign up for that because uh, it's again it's it's a lot of fun. I always enjoy doing that, um, and I look forward to getting back to running because I have not been good about that at all this summer. Well, we are going to take a quick break here, and we're going to hear from our sponsors. And when we return, you'll hear my interview with former Blues Center and the former director of Blues Alumni Relations, Terry Yake. Hey, you, yeah, you. Put that energy drink down. Don't you know that common energy drinks contain high levels of caffeine and other harmful ingredients that can lead to increased blood pressure and heart rhythm disturbances? Finding that energy you need for everyday activities doesn't need to put your health at risk. ID Life's energy formula doesn't use artificial ingredients or a massive dose of caffeine. Energy's caffeine levels are released slowly over time, allowing for longer periods of energy without crash, not to mention keeping your heart safe. Energy also includes neurotransmitters transmitters for mood, focus, memory, and cognitive function. ID Life also added antioxidants associated with brain health for no reason besides perfection. With rockin'thatidlife.com, you can get an energy boost and leave the heart risk behind. Text Dustin at 636-393-8745 or visit rockin'thatidlife.com and throw those gas station energy drinks in the garbage. That's 636-393-8745 and rockin'thatidlife.com and tell Dustin that Let's Go Blues Radio sent you. Centerize Brewery is St. Louis's only hockey-themed brew house. Stop on in during the next game to experience the ultimate hockey fan brewery while sampling various hockey-inspired beers, such as Old Arena Lager, the Beauty IPA, the Rotating Pale Ale Series, or seasonal offerings such as their Imperial Stout, their Lime Sherbet Sour, and much more. While you're there enjoying any number of their fantastic beverages, you can admire the bar top and tables made of authentic arena wood and the actual penalty box door from the old barn. Located at 3126 Olive Street in Midtown St. Louis, it's one of the best places to watch a Blues game, or any game. Visit CenterEyesBrewery.com today to schedule a no-contact curbside pickup or make a reservation in the tap room. Center Ice Brewery, 
Let's go blues. Please drink responsibly. And uh, I am joined by Terry Yake, former St. Louis Blue, former Hartford Whaler, Anaheim Mighty Duck, Toronto Maple Leaf, and then a lot of games overseas as well. Uh, Terry, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I think I forgot Washington Capital as well. You did, yes. Yes. Okay. And, and, and a litany of 10 or 15 other minor league teams. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at uh, your hockey reference. Binghamton Whalers, Springfield Indians, Denver Grizzlies. You, uh, you've definitely traveled, the, uh, you've traveled North America playing a lot of hockey. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, it took me a few years to get my feet under me and, you know, get ready to the, be able to play the physical game with the National Hockey League. And, you know, in that time I was, you know, I was playing pretty well and, doing some good things in the American League, but uh, just didn't quite get my shot until I finally got it in Hartford in, uh, in late my fourth year and into my fifth year of uh, being with the organization. So, yeah, it takes a while sometimes, and uh, you know, and then due to contract issues, I find myself bouncing around again in the American Hockey League uh, or the International League in the middle of my career, and then I got uh, nine more years in Europe at the end of my career, which were more like uh, fun years that were just good opportunities to play great hockey and make a few dollars and enjoy what you do yeah i wanted to uh want to talk to you about that which we'll actually get to but uh first of all uh, you mentioned to me today it's it's sunday as we record sunday is hockey day for me my my family knows it uh typically during the day and another game at night i'll have a couple men's league games uh sounds like you're still playing uh what what league are you in and um you know what what uh, what's the level like for someone like you I'm out in California, and there's a couple of uh, levels out here. They go gold, silver, and bronze, and I'm in one gold league and one silver league. Uh, it's just an opportunity to get out, meet some guys, get a good skate in, a good sweat, and uh, go out there and move the puck around. After 20-plus years, you know, I would say probably 25 to 30 years of training really hard all summer, you know, being in tip-top shape all season, beating your body up, I'm a little tired of the bike, and the Tour de France is not my thing anymore, and I'd rather go out and stick handle and shoot around and have a few laughs with some guys in the locker room after getting my exercise than uh, jumping on the bike mindlessly for, for an hour like we had to do while we played. So that's kind of my motivation. It's uh, it's a lot more fun exercise than uh, you know having to do that cardio the old-fashioned way. I've been uh, lucky enough to, to skate with some some Blues alumni, some some former NHL players as well in my time, and um, it's funny because every now and then, you know, it's it's the whole game for the most part. The guys are just relaxed; they're having a good time; they're loving to be able just to play again and and just have fun now, as opposed to it being their career. But then if it's late in the game and it's it's one goal and it's you know very you know like maybe it's a playoff implications for your session. Uh, I, I see those guys kind of dial it up a little bit. Uh, is, is that like you? or Do you uh, kind of get back into that NHL mindset when the game's on the line? 100%. Uh, <laughs> I think I get as much pleasure out of stopping other players from scoring and frustrating them as I do scoring myself. Uh, this isn't about me scoring anymore. This is more about me going out there and uh, doing some fun things, stopping players, frustrating them, or setting up the uh, guys on my team so that they can score but yes, when the game gets tight, uh, generally we knuckle down, buckle down a little bit more than normal. Uh, but for the most part, we're out there to throw the puck around and uh, enjoy the game, and hopefully give uh, give some guys some some good tips and 
help them uh, win some hockey games. I always want to be on the winning team. It doesn't matter whether I'm playing checkers or playing hockey. So at the end of the day, our goal is to help our team win, but I'm not going to do it by going out there and trying to score every single shift. That's not the way, you know, my, my days are done and it's not the way I want to play the game now. So it's, uh, it's a little more fun and a lot more relaxed, of course. Yeah, that definitely sounds like, yeah. And that competitive spirit. I mean, I, Again, I never played in the NHL. Highest league I played in was was probably back in my high school days, and you still got that competitive drive. It's what we love about hockey. It, uh, you know, even at my age, I'm 36 now, still playing men's league, and it'll it'll just hit me like we had a game earlier today, and we were down by one goal with a minute left, and all of a sudden the the, the tone on the bench went from you know, hey, what'd you do last night to let's score that effing goal, guys, let's do this. So yeah, it's 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 be- it's the best feeling in the world. It is a cruel joke that uh, the good Lord plays on us by keeping our spirit alive mentally, but not allowing our body to get to those pucks and do the things that we used to do when we were younger. So it is a cruel joke. And uh, as you can imagine, for most of the players, uh, former professionals or players of any level, as you well know, uh, when your body doesn't do what your mind thinks it can do or wants it to do, (laughs) it does get a little frustrating. And it's, uh, it is kind of uh, mean and cruel sometimes to really want to, be able to be better than you really are, but trying to figure out a way to understand that your body's just not going to let you do it anymore. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember back in the day I'd play five, six games in a weekend and I'd wake up Monday and feel refreshed and fine. But I try that now and I'm not moving for a week. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about your playing days. So uh, first question I had for you is actually involving uh, you were drafted by the Hartford Whalers. Uh, 1987 fourth round 81st overall um I so for me and and we're gonna start seeing it a little bit here with the Atlanta Thrashers but for me when the Whalers left it was okay who's left in the league that played for the Whalers and uh, I believe the last retired Whaler was J.S. Jaguar so was that is that something that you follow as a former Whaler or was that something that you know once you left you kind of moved on to something else no, I hadn't actually followed it myself, but ironically, there's a, uh, a Whalers Booster Club group or Facebook group that is pretty large, still trying to get a hockey team back in Hartford, uh, and they're in contact, and I've joined their group, and they have some of these obscure stats sometimes, and it's quite interesting sometimes the things that they come up with. Uh, one of them one day was uh, from my first year in Hartford, I'm one of only three players or two players that was there five years later. And I looked at the stats. I'm like, there's no way so many of those guys were there the whole time. And I looked at it. Sure enough, there was that much turnover in five years where over the course of five years, I was one of only three players still in the organization. So, uh, yeah, real fun stuff. And, uh, you know, when they, I left just before one or two seasons before they went to Carolina, uh, that being the Hartford Whalers and, uh, obviously had a good run down there, but I was pretty happy to get picked by the Mighty Ducks and uh, come out here to Anaheim and, and uh, enjoy this team in its first season of the National Hockey League. So my favorite, I'm not, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, my favorite obscure reference slash trivia slash stat is who was the inaugural leading scorer for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks? I'm not kidding. I, I asked all kinds of hockey fans and players that some get it right. Some don't, but I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. You go to Anaheim, your first year with them. Well, first year in existence, 52 points lead the team. 
what was that like for you, uh, who, you know, really typically wasn't, uh, you know, the scorching winger, the, 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 the top line center in your Hartford days before that? Well, at Hartford, we had some pretty good players with the likes of Ron Francis and then John Collin, uh, who was traded for, but Kevin Deneen and Pat Verbeek and, um, Ray Ferraro. So there was a lot of quality players on that team. So rightfully so, I was not going to be one of the top players on that team. And I was fortunate in my final year there where I got to play a little bit to fill in a third-line role with Nick Kiprios and Mark Janssens and sometime Robert Petrovicki, who used to be a blue, Michael Nylander. So some pretty good players and finally got my foot in the door and established myself. So coming here to Anaheim was a bit of a... Uh, confirmation of the fact that I was able to do this not just with really good quality players, not seeing the second or third line defense or checking lines, uh, but able to do it and play against top players. So despite the fact that I had one point more in Hartford and I played about a dozen less games, I think my year in Anaheim was probably better because I saw more of the top line players. I saw more of the top line defensemen. You know, there was more responsibility on your shoulders coming out here trying to provide offense for a team that was, uh, you know, like an expansion team, a player, a bunch of players that were, uh, you would say, unwanted or were unprotected at least by all their former teams. And we came out here and gelled pretty well and gave ourselves a really good chance to make the playoffs. And we were in a playoff hunt right down to the final weekend of the season. So for me, that was a, a very satisfactory year, a, a good coming out year. And unfortunately, uh, contracts kind of uh, booted me around for the next couple of years before I found my way back in the uh, NHL in St. Louis uh, some three years later. Yeah, I wanted to actually talk to you about, so again, uh, you were with Hartford, you were left exposed, and you went to Anaheim. So this is something, obviously, that relates to recent NHL news with the Seattle Kraken, Blues just saw Vince Dunn go, as well as a couple of, as well as 29 other players. Um What's that like for for you? So you're you're with the team, you know, like you said, you'd been with Hartford for a while, uh, five years, and then all of a sudden you're plucked. You're going to Anaheim to join this new expansion team. What was that experience like? Well, first of all, the first phone call was from Brian Burke, the general manager of the Hartford Whalers, to tell me I was going to be left on ex- uh, exposed to the expansion draft. And at that time, it was Florida and Anaheim, uh, both picking alternately, like a regular draft, but just two teams to decide who that they were, who they were going to get. Uh, the draft was te- televised and I'll admit I was pretty taken back and a little disappointed. I was fifth in the team in scoring and had missed, uh, you know, 18 games or something that season. Uh, I was fifth on the team in scoring and to not be protected was, uh, it was the fourth, fourth, fourth leading score on for forwards and not be protected was a, a bit of a shock. And I, you know, I felt like it was a, a hit, but when, I started looking at the opportunity of going to either Florida or Anaheim. I got very excited. But there's still that fear in you that maybe you don't get picked because each team was taking a player. Each team got to take two players, but it didn't necessarily mean that I was still going to get picked. There were other players in Hartford that were exposed. So when I watched the draft on TV, and when I got picked, I was very excited and and, uh, became very excited at the opportunity of coming here to Anaheim and doing something new. And I think the players in Seattle are going to find just like they have in previous organizations, like in Vegas or other uh, new expansion teams that 
being part of a new team is a lot of fun. There's you are now the new culture, and you have an opportunity to go in and prove to a city that uh, you are a good hockey player and you compete in the National Hockey League and you're going to be entertaining for your fans and create a bit of a culture that uh, will hopefully carry on for many years to come. And, you know, I hope we created a, a positive one here in Anaheim uh, with that first team being very successful, winning 33 hockey games and being right in the playoff hunt till the end of the season. Yeah, that was a successful team. I remember playing them uh, as the, my, my Blues playing them and, thinking this is an expansion team i mean they they just they, the drive and uh obviously having having some guys like you out there skating around and uh you know setting up plays and the power play was always something that that uh, i thought was impressive and i remember just thinking man it's an expansion team well now we've got the vegas golden knights and the seattle kraken who uh can really step in as true playoff caliber caliber teams but I'm sure that was uh, that was exciting for you guys when you first got to training camp and kind of saw what the team was. And, you know, I'm sure there was probably some hope, like, guys, we might be able to do something here. Yeah, there was. I mean, we had some preseason games, which you never know based on preseason whether or not you're going to get uh, – whether or not you're going to kind of get the real team from on the other side because sometimes it's only a half a roster. Our opening night was against Detroit. Unfortunately, we had a real powerhouse. They had Steve Eisenman and players like that coming along. Uh, you know, they were a couple of years away from winning the Stanley Cup. So that was a tough starting night. We lost, I believe, seven to two. But we had our first five games at home, and we came out of those five games two and three and then went on the road. And after that, we started believing in ourselves. We believed that we had an opportunity to win hockey games and uh, do things. And we had some real successful trips, uh, one including a, a four-game road trip in Canada where we went and played Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg, and we won all four games in Western Canada. So these are well-established hockey teams, and to do things like that, uh, guys took a lot of pride in. And, you know, they took pride in the fact that we could compete with the top teams in the National Hockey League and go out and be competitive and win games uh, that, you know, maybe start of the season people didn't know who we would be or how we would win, but we did it with a little bit of skill, some great goaltending, some solid defense, um, Plenty of tough guys with Stu Grimson and uh, Todd Ewan looking after everybody. And uh, we had a pretty well-balanced and rounded team. We probably could have used some more top-end talent. We didn't have the superstars that some of the other teams had, but we tried to make up for it with uh, hard work and coming to play every single night. So you mentioned uh, you you had went to Toronto uh, shortly after that, played 19 games, and then uh, kind of played in the IHL and the, uh, the AHL before landing with the Blues in 97-98. But I want to ask, before you signed that contract with the Blues and you were, you know, like you said, you'd kind of taken some time off from the NHL, bouncing between a couple different, uh, uh, the IHL and the AHL specifically, uh, your thought process while that was happening, was it, you know, was it, I'm going to get myself back in the NHL? Were you more down? Like, am I ever going to make it again? Uh, what was it like uh, being in that in that time frame? I don't know that I was ever really down. I was disappointed. I was a little upset at the, the system, the politics that were involved. Uh, this was nothing more than a political situation, contractual situation post-lockout of uh, 1994, 95. And I just had to continue to believe in myself. And, you know, I, I went to the International Hockey League and went to Milwaukee thinking that would be a chance to 
get my foot in the door. It was a good team. I played with some good players. I led that team in scoring, and I missed 12 games that year as well, but that wasn't enough. They said that league wasn't you know, the same as the American League. So then I had to go to the American League and try and fight my way back. And basically, uh, I ended up second in the league in scoring. Uh, I sat over the last game of the season where I could have won the scoring race, but that wasn't an issue at that point. This was more about uh, being ready and successful in the playoffs. We had a good playoff run. Unfortunately, we didn't win the Calder Cup, but it was enough of a season for me that I found my way back, at least with a contract and an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League, thanks to a couple of guys that I had previously, and Joel Quenville, who I played with in Hartford, who was the coach in St. Louis, and Jimmy Roberts, who was my coach in Springfield and in Hartford that we want to, that I want to call their cup with in 1991. I think a couple of guys went to bat for me, and I got an opportunity to uh, get back in the fold in St. Louis and came in and had a decent enough camp to make the team. And you know, from there, I managed to find myself in the league for you know about four more years. So that was uh, that was really nice. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of disappointment in the. You know, two and a half, three years that I spent in the American Hockey League in the prime of my career. But at this point, uh, you know, I just have to take it for what it is and look back at uh, the good years fondly. So, uh, again, you met, you play with the Blues 97, 98, 98, 99 in the beginning of the 99, 2000 season. Um, 65 points in 151 games with the Blues. Uh, I, wa- I, I got to ask you because this was in the era that uh, we like to complain about the Blues jerseys. What are your thoughts on those Blues jerseys that you wore? Well, the first season was the red uh, yep. the red jersey with mm-hmm. the, the angle stripe. And, um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan, to be honest with you. I don't think it was a classy jersey. I think, you know, the Blues obviously is not related to the color. I think it's more based on music, if I'm not mistaken. That's so, correct. Uh, but... Still, I don't think you should have red in the Blues jersey, at least not that much. So that was not my first or favorite jersey. The next year we wore a bit of a shiny jersey, which I thought looked really good, but it didn't wear well because it didn't stretch very well. Mm. But now they've got themselves back into a classic Blues look, and I love the way the jerseys are. Simple, clean, all the great teams, all the old teams, uh, whether you look at Montreal or Toronto, or Boston, they have classic-looking jerseys, and uh, I think the Blues are Blues jersey, the one they use now, with going with the blue and the color that they have, is one of the more classic jerseys, in, not just in hockey, but all of sports. So I prefer it the way it is now. I think uh, 100% you and, and our audience and the other hosts of this show love the sentiment because we are not fans of what we call the clown jerseys. Uh, look like look like Ronald McDonald should be wearing one of those. Um now you played with uh, you played with Brett Hall a lot, uh, especially your first season. I remember you coming up and you know, oh, the Blues signed Terry Yake, and you know, there's a little bit of chatter around it with you, you know, having the success you had in Anaheim and uh, in Hartford, um, and you know, so you step out. I don't. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I'm, if I remember correctly, you were on a line with Brett Hall pretty early in the season. So you mentioned earlier that you didn't have that star power that you were looking for in Anaheim. Well, now all of a sudden you're playing on uh, – now all of a sudden you're, gonna be, you're, you're playing with Brett Hall. What was that like for you as a player? Well, when you start playing with superstars like that, and I played with uh, Ron Francis, who wasn't quite a superstar yet, but was on the verge of becoming one and, of course, became one. Uh, but I didn't get to play on a line with him very often. 
And then, you know, a little bit with Paul Correa, who you could tell was going to be an amazing hockey player in Anaheim. And then, of course, Doug Gilmore in Toronto, Matt Sundin, and a few other players like that. But again, I wasn't necessarily playing with them on a regular basis. Uh, so when I got, it, got into uh, St. Louis, actually my first game, I believe I was a, a scratch the first night of the season. And then the second game of the season, somebody was hurt. I believe it was Turgeon. Yeah. He was either hurt or suspended for game two. And I was playing. They, they threw me right from the press box and center it on the first line with Brett Hall. And I remember being like nervous like it was my first game in the National <laughs> Hockey League because Brett comes with a reputation, right? I mean, give him the puck or and get out of the way or you know, yeah. go get it and make sure you find me in the slot. So uh, I actually think I, I remember specifically having a pretty decent game, setting him up a couple times. He didn't score. Um, but either way, it wasn't bad. It got me back in the lineup, and I found myself playing a little bit more. And of course, I was not going to take Pierre Turgeon's spot on that line. <laughs> um, he's a premier player in the league, a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame, and I hope soon will be. But uh, it got me back in the lineup, and it felt good to be back in the National Hockey League again. And uh, playing with Holly just became very educational, as I like to say. Uh, I learned a lot from him. I was 27, 28 years old when I was in St. Louis, and I was still learning things about shooting the puck, just watching him in practice. It was uh, it was something to behold, and uh, clearly one of the best the game's ever seen. And when you get players like that, you sit down, watch, and take notice of what they do and how they do things. So whether it be him or McInnes and Pronger and the way they play defense um, or Turgeon, the way he could protect the puck and just the things he saw – there's always something you can learn, no matter what point in your career you are. And playing with these guys is a lot of fun. You uh, so again, you uh, you played with the Blues for parts of three seasons. Um, I know that you're a proud member of Blues alumni. You've come back for a lot of events, but looking back at your actual playing days, um, is there one, maybe two or three guys that in particular that you considered uh, to be your best friends at the time? Maybe guys you still talk to today. Well. Uh... I'll start with uh, Pavel Dimitra. I mean, we used to ride together to the games, and uh, it was really heartbreaking to uh, hear the news about him years ago when they had that plane crash. That was really difficult. Um, he's the kind of guy that uh, you know. I think everybody liked. You know, we obviously hear about the conference, you know, the friendship that he had with Keith Tuchuk and so many others, and how he's beloved by all. But that wasn't. A, that's there's no exaggeration there. He was just a great guy, uh, easy to get along with. He wasn't. He was a star type player that didn't act like a star type player, um, if there's such a stereotype for that. And you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I had some, you know, some good friends on the team. I played with Blair Achenham before. Uh, Scott Peller and I lived close together, and we used to ride together. Uh, Grant Fuhrer and I became really good friends, stopping at all the golf shops across North America every time we got off the plane, and getting a few rounds of golf in on the road and back in St. Louis. And we still play to play together at least once a month uh, to this day. So I meet him out in the desert. He's living in Palm Springs, Palm Desert area, and we still get together regularly. Uh, but for those three years, probably one of the biggest honors I had was being the roommate of Pierre Turgeon, getting to know him very well and becoming really good friends with him and his family and uh, having an opportunity to room with a guy with that kind of ability that night in, night out um, came to play. Uh, brought his game, you know, fourteen hundred plus points in the National Hockey League. It's it's quite a uh, it's quite a thrill, and it's fun to be able to call a player like that uh, your friend. And 
because I ran the St. Louis Blues alumni for eight years, of course, I got to know all those guys that are, some of them that are out of town, but all the guys that are in town, um, got to know them very well. And it's, uh, that's been probably one of the best things about being an alumni or being the alumni director for eight years was getting to hang out with these, these players, whether it be at golf tournaments or events or signings or whatever was required of us over the past few years. So, you know, hanging out and continuing to call these guys your family is still one of the best parts of uh, hockey, and I'm looking forward to doing it until, uh, until we're all too old to get together. <laughs> Hopefully that's very, very far down the future. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so I wanted to ask you about that. You you know, working as a Blues alumni, you you were pretty close with the organization for a while. Um, what are you up to nowadays? What What's uh, what's a, a day in the life of Terry Yake like out in Anaheim? Well, I'm doing some consulting out here in Anaheim and uh, enjoying the beautiful weather. Uh, I had an opportunity to come out here and work for my uh, my last agent. He was uh, the guy who did my last contract. He had some uh, company businesses going out here, so I came out here to California and uh, really enjoying the weather. Uh, maybe back in St. Louis someday, you never know, but uh, at this point, uh, enjoying California and the beautiful temperatures and seasonal 70-degree uh, weather. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, got a, I have a friend that lives in Anaheim, and he says, we don't have seasons here. It's just always 70. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's quite amazing. Yeah, that's impressive. So, um, yeah, so I want to talk to you real quick, too, about uh, after you left the NHL, again, you made a stop with the Washington Capitals. Uh, but after that, you went to the German DEL League. You also went to the Swiss National League B. Um, what was that experience like? Again, you're you're an NHL player. You know, you played in uh, 403 NHL games, 11 years in the NHL. And you, uh, yeah, you, you move on, and, and we've had others on the show that have done this, and they always talk uh, a lot about how it was a learning experience. It was, you know, kind of something that was nice. Hopefully I'm not taking words out of your mouth here. But, uh, but yeah, what was it like for you? Well, first off, the first year uh, I was looking for a job still to try and stay in the National Hockey League. But it was the year of 9-11, and training camps all around the NHL were kind of delayed because of 9-11. And then post that, I was sitting around waiting, and nothing was coming. And all of a sudden, Everybody had changed their schedules. They had taken about 10 days to two weeks uh, until about the 20th or 23rd of September to get back in schedule, and then everything was rushed. So uh, giving me an opportunity somewhere just never came to fruition. I don't know if it would have, even if times were better. But after that, I decided it was time to go over to Europe and you know just continue to, to play at a higher level and hopefully provide you know, living for my family and something I do and still love to do and was in shape and uh, still had a few years left in me. I went over to Germany and the first year, the first time I I went over, I got off the plane, basically got on the bus, went on a road trip, and then they dumped me at a hotel for a day and a half uh, with no, no German, no, uh, nobody speaking English. So it was quite a culture shock. Once you get by that first part of the culture shock, uh, the locker room is very much the same no matter what part of the world you're in. The hockey is still great. Uh, the competition level is good. And we were able to make a few dollars. So three years in Germany and then five in Switzerland uh, was really quite uh, relaxing in a sense that it wasn't as stressful as the National Hockey League. You know, I wasn't fighting for my job every single night. I wasn't worried about losing my job every single night. And I could go out and enjoy the game a lot more. Uh, look around. Uh, appreciate what I had, 
uh, spend some more time with the family. The, you know, you're, I had young kids at the time, and they were able to come over, and we, we were able to homeschool them, teach them to ski in the Swiss Alps, and do a lot of nice things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do if I was in the National Hockey League because it was very tunnel vision in the NHL all the days, all the years that you spent in that league. I spent in that league anyway. I had a hard time appreciating what I was doing because it was just a fight to keep your job every single night. So going over there and playing was a lot of fun and it allowed me to uh, relax a lot more and enjoy hockey. And uh, ironically, they may have been some of the best years of my life as far as hockey-wise because I was able to finally sit back and enjoy it and utilize some of my experience to get me through and not have to battle every single day just to keep your job. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so again, you you played a long time uh, professionally. Now you're still playing men's league. So I have to ask, uh, you know, some of us talk about that we have warm up music that we still listen to. Again, I've been playing my whole life. That's changed over the years. But uh, is there a certain song or is there a certain uh, maybe a band that you like to listen to to get you ready for hockey? And has that changed over the years? No, there is not. And I really never did have one. Uh, I did. I don't. I like listening to music on the way to a game. I like getting myself, uh, you know, relaxed. Uh, but I think that for me, it's the game now is more about uh, ch- talking with the my my friends, the teammates, uh, getting in the locker room and enjoying a little conversation before the game. Uh, if we get the right group where everybody isn't afraid to make fun of each other after you get know each other, get gets know each other a little better. It becomes even more fun. When we skate with our alumni, uh, the locker room before is usually just a one dig to into another guy after another. <laughs> and uh, that, to me, is a lot of the fun. So I can't wait to get to the locker room and hear what guys have to say and to start making uh, comments to guys. And then, then, of course, we go out and play and then carry it on as soon as we come off the ice. And that's uh, what makes the game and the locker room that much fun, but uh, I don't really base anything around music anymore. If I was a baseball player and I was looking for a walkout song, I can't tell you at this time what it would be. So <laughs> it's just not it's just not a high priority at this time for me. It's about what's the best joke I can come up with today. Yeah. Who, can I, who am I going to get after when I get into the locker room? Yeah, that sounds like me. That's uh, yeah. It's funny because my wife will. Uh, I was talking to her a little while ago, and she's like asking about you know. Uh, something about how I was tired after the game, and she's like, "Oh, come on, you you just go there to socialize. You don't go to play." And I'm like, "Okay, there's a lot of socializing, but yeah, we're still skating on the rink. It still gets tiring." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Terry, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. I know uh, the that our listeners are going to love hearing from you. Um, how often are you uh, back in St. Louis? Do you uh, do you? kind of come here from now and t- now and then or do you uh kind of keep yourself in anaheim or hitting the golf links across the country no, i'll be i will be back in st louis in uh, the next couple of weeks my kids are there right now they're they're uh, enjoying their summer away from college and uh, come see them before they go back I'm also going to be back the first week of september for the blues alumni fantasy camp so there's lots of uh lots of things going on in st louis often i'll get back uh during christmas see some friends hang out, go watch a couple blues games. So, yeah, I look forward to coming back three to five times a year for a week at a time just to, uh, you know, keep in touch with everybody that's there. I still have a house in St. Louis, and, um, you know, there's a good chance that I'll be back there again someday when uh, this opportunity is uh, finished or over and uh, or some other business opportunity comes forward from there. 
I do have to ask, uh, you uh, participated in 2017 Winter Classic Alumni Game. So the Blues are, uh, as everyone knows, going to be right back in the Winter Classic uh, in 2022. Now, I've, I know that it's it's uh, kind of a pecking order kind of thing, but if you're asked to play, you think you'll be back up in Minnesota to skate with the Winter Classic team? Well, they they have recently been not having the alumni game, so I sure hope they bring it back or that it's uh, – it's brought back and that there is one up there, but absolutely. Uh, if my phone rings, I would be there no matter what the situation. Uh, that was one of the greatest experiences ever is to play in that alumni game in front of 45,000 people. All those years, you think about all of us, probably Wayne Gretzky, I'm pretty sure Wayne Gretzky and Brett Hall and Al McKinnis and Chris Pronger included. None of us had played in front of that many, that many people. And we all did it after we were retired. So <laughs> it's still quite a treat. There was 45 plus thousand in that uh in bush stadium and it was it was the atmosphere was absolutely electric and it was so much fun to be hanging out with those guys and you want to talk about a locker room before that game everybody was there two and a half three hours before the game just going around talking to different people catching up and uh a lot of great stories and a lot of fun that weekend so i hope they bring it back and if they do and the phone rings i will be there but you know there's over 700 former blues in the national around the around North America and Europe. So there'll be a lot of people vying for those spots. Yeah. And I, I can see why it seems like you guys all really got along. I was there that day. And uh, first, first of all, as a fan, it was, I mean, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, just seeing all the, you know, all the names that, that were there was just so much fun for a fan, but then seeing, seeing how you guys were all interacting with each other too. I mean, there was a lot of, chatter a lot of i mean it was just it made it even more fun to see how much you guys enjoyed it as well yeah and there's there's no doubt like none of what you saw was fake we all really were enjoying it when we're laughing on the ice we were actually having that much fun because uh yes both teams wanted to win don't get me wrong um and we really wanted to win for our fans and make it even though it's an alumni game there's no points going on the record books or anything else we still wanted to win and put a good show on uh when you when you see guys start training two and three months ahead of time just for a single hockey game uh you know that they're serious about it guys were getting in shape and skating two or three times a week so that they could go out there and perform and not embarrass themselves so that's how much it meant to all of the players uh on both sides and uh you know i hope hope the show was pretty good on the ice uh, during the game. Plus, you can't you can't let Darren Pang beat you because you'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> well, I believe that was said in the locker room a few times. <laughs> awesome. Well, Terry, thank you very much for doing this. Um, I want to give you uh, time here at the end of our conversation to, if there's anything you want to promote, maybe uh, you know your businesses or anything social media wise. Uh, please go ahead and take time to tell people how they can find you. No, I think we're good. I mean, I'd love to see uh, as many people as possible. If you've got hockey fans, our uh, Blues Alumni Fantasy Camp is early September this year. Uh, come on out and support it because uh, Blues Alumni, which I was the director of the alumni for eight years, uh, ran. We do raise a lot of money that go to very worthwhile causes throughout the city of St. Louis and probably as much as ever because of the pandemic and all the things that have happened in the last year and a half, I know there's a lot of charities that are suffering because they're not getting the revenue from hockey games, from events, from golf tournaments that were all canceled. So there's more and more people in need all the time. So 
up all the Blues alumni. Have a great weekend. Play some hockey. I'm sure you uh, know all about it. There's some great, uh, great times to be had over a three-day weekend with the Blues alumni and all the players. Hopefully, everybody comes out and enjoys their weekend, and uh, the alumni will be sure to put that money to good use. Yeah, it's a it's a great event. I've never participated, but I've been there. I've covered it when I was in the media, and it was uh, man, it was a lot of fun. So. Definitely, uh, Blues fans, we'll remind you here on Let's Go Blues Radio as that date gets closer because uh, it is definitely something worth checking out. Uh, Terry, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself, and uh, maybe we'll have to have you on again in the future. Absolutely, in time. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. You too. All right. Well, again, my uh, big big thanks goes out to Terry Yake for coming on the show today. Um, guy that I've I've worked with in the past in terms of uh, we did a, a, a cap uh, camp for Down Syndrome children together uh, a couple years ago. That was a lot of fun and obviously I met him a lot when I was in the media. Very nice guy. So again, thanks to Terry for coming on. Uh, well folks, that will do it. We're going to wrap up here. Support for Let's Go Blues Radio was brought to you in part by ID Life, the world's only truly personalized vitamin platform based on a health assessment of your DNA Visit rockinthatidlife.com for more information. That's rockinthatidlife.com. And get 10% off by texting Dustin at 636-393-8745 and tell him Let's Go Blues Radio sent you. That's 636-393-8745. And by Center Ice Brewery, St. Louis's hockey-themed brewery. Visit centericebrewery.com today to schedule a no-contact curbside pickup or to make a reservation in their awesome tap room. While you're there and enjoying a number of their fantastic beers, you can admire the bar top and tables made of authentic arena wood. Located at 3126 Olive Street in Midtown St. Louis, it's one of the best places to watch a Blues game or Cardinals game. Uh, That's centericebrewery.com. Please drink responsibly. That will do it for episode 47 of season 9 of the original St. Louis Blues Hockey Podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Thanks for listening. I had a blast doing it as always, and uh, thank you for tuning in. So we'll probably be back with a live show next week, uh, but either way, definitely a show next week. Uh, If it's not live, it'll definitely be something like this. So um, you can count on that all summer. For Kurt Price and Bill Day, I'm Jeff Ponder, and this was... Let's go blues radio until next time, everyone let's go blues. Uh, the chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanus board at the war Memorial at eight. Good seats are still available. I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to let's go blues radio. Now take off hosers. I want you to have a heart attack and die so that we never have to do this shit again. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life. You'll never get back. Sorry. St. <laughs> Louis Blues, St. Louis Blues, have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number one, now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. The Blues are on the ice tonight again, they're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friend. They never give a single goal away. And the Blue Day, they are champions every day. 
Cause when it's said and done, they'll have them on the run. These old St. Louis blues are here to stay. St. Louis blues, St. Louis blues. Have you heard the news about our St. Louis blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number.